now, from the edge of Clark Gable's mustache, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men who stole Miss Scarlet's vittles, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Wow, there's a reference. Miss Scarlet's vittles. Bob, who is digging deep, way uh, deep? I don't know. Oh, a guy named Joe. Joe who? Joe Everett. Er, Erver, e, Joe. Joe Everett. Everett. See, like, Joe is the name that everyone uses to describe someone whose name they can't pronounce. And Bob way, couldn't pronounce that one either. Yes, sir. Way to pretend like Bob is really here. I know. Well, you know, we're running out of how many uh, intros do we have left? We've got six left. Six left. So we are soliciting new intros. We've been getting a lot of good submissions. Come on, you folks. You know how the intros go. So send them on in. Gods at digigods.com. Gods at digigods.com. Send us your intros along with uh, your name so we can fairly attribute them when we finally get around to recording them. And uh, we've got six more left. It's going to take us probably through September and then starting in, uh, let's say, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. October, starting in October, I guess we'll uh, we'll start with new ones. Oh, it's yeah. too damn funny. It is funny. All right, wait. I'm looking at the DVDs. Yes. I see a lot of kids stuff. I got to tell you, <laughs> I really am not happy right now. Uh, we won't uh, we won't spend much on the kids stuff. It's just, you know, I'm looking at there's a lot of Bob the Builder and Smurfs and Barney and Thomas and Friends and you Dora. Hang on. Sean no, the Sheep. No, no. Sean the Sheep. Okay. Yeah. Here's Sesame the, Street. Here's what you have. Yes. And I'm doing this. Yo, Gabba a, Gabba. I'm doing this as a service to our, our friends who listen on, uh, on an iPod. Yes. You have, uh, should I give you, uh, you have 12 minutes. 12 minutes to go to through all this? talk about all the kids' stuff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, wait, hang on. I'm, I'm, it's, uh, hang on. You know what? I'm going to set a timer for 12 minutes. Okay. I'm not kidding. I'm setting a timer for 12 Do minutes. Do it. Okay, you ready? Yes. Uh, three, two, one. Okay, rock and roll. If you got little kids, here's what they are in for. Everybody else can can Just fast forward out. to minute thirteen of this podcast <laughs> because the first twelve will be about this crap. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um. You know we got a bunch of stuff here from Mill Creek. Mill Creek releases a lot of good kid stuff. Uh, the ultimate collection of all about. Ten episodes. I was completely unfamiliar with this before, but this is kind of like a tell-me-why thing if you ever grew up with tell-me-why. This is just teaching kids about all kinds of stuff. Boats, ships, cars, construction, buildings, cowboys, dinosaurs, horses, uh, fire engines, you name it. Uh, you know, for the little ones, the little tykes. Also from uh, uh, Mill Creek is Timeless Animated Favorites. This is interesting. Ten mediocre animated shorts, but uh, some relatively, you know, it, it, it'll keep them busy in front of the TV. You got things like, uh, n- none of this is the Disney stuff. Pocahontas, Snow White. Little Mermaid, Hercules, Thumbelina, Little Princess, Beauty and the Beast. All of this done not Disney style. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, each one of them lasts about 45 minutes. It's good for people who you need know, real little kids and don't care. And they're, they just want to learn the fairy tales and you've got to keep them busy. Uh, the Littles absolutely freak me out. I've never gotten used to these, these weird elfin strange characters. 29 episodes here. The complete collection uh, you know what? It's got a following. It's kind of weird. Uh, but, uh, you know, there it is. Uh, we also got the best of the Get Along Gang, uh, which is just more talking animals. Um, our friend Tim Cogshell always says he doesn't like animated films because he has a problem with anthropomorphic animals. And I don't normally agree, but in this case, it does kind of creak me out. Uh, but anyway, this is also from the same bunch of people, the same animation team that does the Littles, so it shouldn't be any surprise. 
and then uh, this is all still part of the uh, the whole uh, cookie jar thing, uh, which is the the line of kid stuff that gets released from uh, from uh, Mill Creek. And then lastly, from Mill Creek, is a couple of Richard Scarry things. We love Richard. Well, I love Richard Scarry. You didn't like Richard Scarry growing up, did you? I did not. All those picture books. I love all those little cute little animals. And they scarred me. Scarry awesome. scarred me. This is the busy world of Richard Scarry, Volume Two: Fun in Busy Town. And then we've also got uh, The Busy World of Richard Scarry, Good Times Never End. Uh, I just love the artwork. I really do. It's, uh, you know, Richard Scarry has a really, his, his regular picture books are, are the best, but even in animated form, there's just something really, really very sweet and endearing about his particular style of art. And uh, the way that he draws animals and personifies them, I find it very, very charming. Uh, we also got four DVDs here. This is all part of the uh, HBO series El Perro y Gato. Domo Origato, Mr. Roboto? Yes, El Perro y Gato. Uh, if you haven't seen this, you're missing out on some of the weirdest freak. This is like somewhere between Ren and Stimpy and South Park, I gotta be honest. Um, and uh, except it's not really for adults, it's a, it's a preschool thing. And uh, it's just, re- it's, it's like paced up weird kind of animation it's no no way to really adequately describe it like somebody cut these things out of construction paper um but the the whole point of this is uh about learning things in english and in spanish it airs on hbo family and hbo latino and it's kind of teaching preschoolers you know how to like sort of how to be bilingual which i don't have a problem with i wish they'd come out with one of these for you know chinese and french and you know other languages. Not with that animation. I'm no, sorry. maybe not. I mean, come on. Anyway, we've got uh, the adventures. Be- the adventure begins. Unleashed uh, from here to there and together again. And uh, you know what? I'm not a preschooler, so I don't know if I'm really appropriate to assess the value of all this. Hey, Arnold, season one uh, from Nickelodeon. This dude's. Uh, it's, it's like that weird freaking baby from uh, from the Family Guy grew Stewie. up. Stewie. Yes, Stewie. Same same shaped head. What's up with that? You know, here's the thing, Wade, I, and not to take away from your 12 minutes, but I'm yeah. going to. Go ahead. There's so much traffic in Los Angeles now when I drive to the office and yeah. back home yeah. Yeah. that as I drive, I actually stream uh, on Netflix, which I have on my iPhone. Yeah. I stream episodes of Family Guy on my iPhone. Do you really? Yeah, and I watch it on the way to work. While you're driving, you're watching Family Guy on That is phone. correct. You know that's like dangerous? That is correct. Okay. Well, it's not. you know why it's not dangerous? Because huh. I'm not moving. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, hey, Arnold, see, uh, season one. It's, it's a little creepy, but uh, for the next... Uh, all right. Uh, learning Letters with Elmo. Yay! Freaking hate Elmo. Um, but this is just a Sesame Street thing where Elmo helps little kids learn their alphabets and what the letters are and, uh, and all that jazz. Um, I think it scars children more than it helps them, but, uh, you know, hey, it's freaking Elmo. More My Speed is Sesame Street Spoofs, Volume 1 and 2. This is actually really cool. Um, this, uh, this, is Sesame, this is a Sesame Street disc for people who don't normally like Sesame Street. It's not even for kids, really. Uh, this has uh, all the really, really fun, very clever and well-written Sesame Street uh, spoofs. Uh, that uh, are, are almost, as the old uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons and the Rock and Bullwinkle cartoons, in many respects, better for adults than, uh, than they are for kids. Uh, you know, fun stuff here like 30 Rocks, Preschool Musical, uh, Hill Street Twos, Twin Beaks. I mean, little kids aren't going to understand the joke in Twin Beaks. That's a, that's a, that's a gag for adults. That's great. So anyway. No, uh, but, it, well, but it makes the adults think that, oh, this, this, this won't be a bunch of pandering uh, kids' crap. It's fun. I, it speaks my language. And it's then they realize really that the show itself is pandering kids' crap. But 
just the title. There's a wink. There's a sheep. wink and a nod to, an, no, to adults okay. every once in a while. Uh, Sean the Sheep. You know, this is uh, it's look. I love the Ardman guys, Nick Park, and uh, and all those guys at Ardman Animation in uh, in England. Uh, but this is really getting a little bit long in the tooth at this point. Um, it, I just don't know that they can milk the whole Sean the Sheep thing for much more than they already have. But that said, uh, Sean the Sheep, Animal Antics, Wild and Hairy Adventures on the Farm. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. There's seven episodes here, and it's fine. You know, no better than anything else. Uh, from the world of that friggin' Dora, we, we watched the, um, was it Maraca? The SNL uh, Smigel spoof? Oh, it's fantastic. It's friggin' great. We watched that again yesterday. That was hilarious. Well, anyway, if, if you want to actually take this stuff seriously, there's Dora's Big Party Pack, which is uh, three previously released things in here. This is Dora's Big Birthday Adventure. It's a party and super silly fiesta. This is uh, basically just taking three things that have already sold out and saying, you know what, we've got some stuff left in the factory. We need to uh, somehow get rid of our inventory. So they repackaged it in a box, and now you're supposed to buy it all over again. And from the world of Dora is Go Diego Go! Fiercest Animal Rescues. Um, the only noteworthy thing about this is that it has a an, one episode on it previously unseen. Not that it makes that much difference. They're all kind of the same. Um, moving along, we've got a couple of anime titles here from Funimation that I think are actually good for kids. A lot of the, uh, the anime stuff uh, from Funimation is not necessarily that kid-friendly. Uh, we'll talk about that another week. But um, this would be Baka and Test, Summon the Beasts, the complete first season. And uh, you always know stuff's well. I won't say it's always kid friendly because there is some. Uh, what's the what's the, the name for adult anime? Uh, hentai. Hentai, yeah. Hentai. Hentai, whatever. Yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, it's. I always confuse that with that uh, Korean car company that uh, Jeff Bridges does. Hyundai. Yeah. Why does Jeff Bridges do that? <laughs> I mean, come on, he's he's he's, eating, he's got the money now. Oh yeah. But you know it is what it is. Well, anyway, this is uh, this is almost like a high school musical slash uh, Josie and the Pussycats kind of a thing. So Baca and Test, Summon the Beasts. Uh, it's pretty cool, actually. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. A lot of girl power, a lot of like high school girl power. And then Sergeant Frog. This is season three, part one, episodes fifty-two through sixty-five. Um, the uh, this, uh, whole Sergeant Frog thing is a little weird and creepy, and uh, just completely from Mars. I've never quite understood what drugs these people were taking when they conceived it, but uh, Keroro is back in action, and there it is. Uh, Thundercats. Got to, how much time do I have left? I'm not telling you. Okay, Thundercats. You never know when the bomb's going to go I off. I never right? know. Thundercats, uh, the original series, season one, part one. Uh, you know what? It's kind of like Cats, the musical, except without music and done like Hanna-Barbera superhero animation. Uh, we've talked about that a little bit before. Let's see. Ben 10, Ultimate Alien. Good freaking grief. Uh, Return God, of Heart Blast. Ben 10. Jeez. Come on, folks. I know. This thing just never ends. Okay, you know, it's more Ben 10 stuff. Voltron, The Legend Begins. You ever seen Voltron? You know the deal? He's a big robot. And well, they, you know, they're positioning a Voltron um, motion picture. I know. Well, this is this is kind of, you know, adapted anime. It's a little like Battle of the Planets and, uh, you know, all that other kind of giant robot stuff that we had here pre-Transformers. It's all, you know, Voltron pre-Transformers. Got to remember that. Uh, Bob the Builder, Super Scrambler. Uh, you know what? If you're like one year old and you want to see, uh, it, what the hell? It's like it's like a speed buggy with the, with the heavy equipment, heavy machinery. Uh, let's see, uh, Shalom Sesame, the, uh, the Hebrew version of uh, Sesame Street, uh, Monsters in the Sukkah. What's Sukkah, Mark? Uh, sukkah is a, uh, is a thing. Okay, boy, this is volume 11, Shalom Sesame, here we go. What, you, you claim to be Jewish, what's wrong with you? you know, I eat pork, how much bacon I eat? <laughs> 
Okay. Well, anyway, this is a really good series. I've said before, I think they should have this uh, all over the world in all the different cultures because it's just wonderful how they actually adapt it. So uh, we're going to have more on that when holiday kind time comes around. Uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog, Dog Days of Summer. This is from Scholastic. And uh, I don't particularly like Clifford the Big Red Dog. He kind of freaks me out because I don't know any dogs that are actually red. It looks like someone covered him with blood. Yes. And, me, and as for Garfield the Cat, how many cats do you know who love lasagna and kick dogs off tables? Uh, I don't know. Two and, or like, three. and like hate Mondays or something. Uh, freaking weird stuff here. Uh, this is from the Leapfrog series, Sing and Learn. Normally, the Leapfrog ser- series is pretty good for teaching uh, those ignorant preschoolers how to actually function in the real world. But the animation in this thing is just freaking weird. These things are psychotic. It's like Teletubbies in Acid Land or something. Uh, uh, the Smurfs, a magical Smurf adventure. This is, uh, you know, two discs of ten episodes meant to exploit the fact that there's a Smurfs movie that's doing surprisingly well in theaters. Other than that, I hate Smurfs. Uh, Barney. Oh, gosh, we hate Barney. This is one, two, three, learn. Can't stand Barney. It's scary stuff. He's a purple dinosaur with all kinds of serious mental issues and, uh, you know, and and not sharp teeth. Um, Thomas in charge. Thomas and friends. Charles in charge? No, it's that train. Thomas and friends. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if, if it ain't a dinosaur, it's a train. Uh, the animation in here is weird, but it actually is kind of fun in, in, a, in a very innocuous way. Uh, I know I'm lo- running out of time, so I've got to move down here to the Judy Jetson thing. But first, Fanboy and Chum Chum, Brain Freeze. Oh, my gosh, these things are disturbing. It's just deeply disturbing animation that, that from Nickelodeon. And, and I, I, you know, it's like the Ren and Stimpy done uh, superhero style. You know, like take Ren and Stimpy, turn them into CGI animated things, make them human, give them masks, and have them solve crimes and deeply scar children as a result. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the complete season nine with a lenticular cover on this thing. I, I think they're throwing this out there because aren't they preparing a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, movie? Darn, darn tootin'. Yeah, see, it's all about uh, cross, cross promotion. And then here, this is fabulous. Hanna-Barbera Classic Collection, Rockin' with Judy Jetson. This is a uh, feature-length film, believe it or not, that uh, done completely uh, independent of the Jetson series uh, that's really actually pretty good. I find this thoroughly enjoyable. Um, oh, I'm out of time? You're out of time, Wade. Oh, crap. Okay, well, anyway, that, get, check this out, definitely. The full-length feature, Rockin' with Judy Jetson, is uh, surprisingly fun. And the last one, of course, was uh, Yo Gabba Gabba, Music Makes Me Move, but I'm not going to get around to that. Because uh, your 12 minutes are up. Because my 12 minutes are up. But Now uh, we have to talk about stuff people care about. Okay. Wow, can't believe we blew through that. That was amazing. Yeah, people learned a lot about those products. <laughs> they really <laughs> learned a lot, Wade. Uh, you know, Mark, um, we, we talk about every time a new season comes out, we... we discuss the merits and the deficits of this fascinating but deeply disturbing show about a serial killer, which I don't think 10, 20, 30 years ago anybody would possibly have thought to do. See, that's why you, for some reason, you have this thing in your head where, like, Magnum P.I. is, like, the edgiest show ever because there was an episode where he shot a Vietnam vet. I mean, honestly. shot a Russian. Whatever. Compared to Dexter Season 5, and not that I'm a fan of Dexter, but I'm just saying, compared to Dexter Season 5, but here's the thing, too, which people do have to understand. Yes. Dexter, Sopranos, these are all pay cable shows. Correct, yes. You know, Magnum P.I., these are... CBS. uh, CBS, these are network shows. Yeah. Networks have FCC licenses, and they, uh, you know, they have to, there's a certain amount of decorum, because they're free television. Right. Dexter doesn't really uh, deal with that. So uh, anyway, season five of Dexter, um, it premiered in September 2010, and uh, you know people. You, love it. you know, you know what I like. About, here's the one thing about this season in particular of Dexter. Um, Julia Stiles is awfully good on this show. Yeah, you she know really what? That's is. a uh, that, that's and a good get. I saw her on Broadway. You know. 
Did you really? In the uh, day, it was uh, it was Bill Pullman. Yeah. And uh, Julia Stiles uh, in the Mammoth play, uh, you know, the one where uh, where the teacher and the student get into a sexual harassment thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the name of it. But they were both uh, very good. Yeah, yeah, what What's is it that? Well, anyway. Oh, that no. Thing. Now you're making me look it up. Well, anyway, uh, you know, it, that's the thing. She's really kind of come of age on this show. This season, it, she is particularly good in. And uh, Oleana. Thank you, Oleana. Um, you know, she's particularly good in it, and uh, the show still kind of creeps. I still have, I'm still trying to decide, you know, I know a lot of people love this show. It's still, it, you know, it, it means to push buttons, a lot like Nip Tuck did, even though Nip Tuck, not a, uh, not a pay cable show. But um, they're all kind of going for certain button-pushing things. Dexter really pushes them. I'm still kind of juries out in many respects in the show, but she is great. And it's interesting because I thought her career was done at a certain moment, at least her feature film career. Mm-hmm. But I think the, how good she is on this show, um, she may have a, a whole new shot at doing uh, features in some kind of new, not as a leading lady, not as an ingenue. But I think there's some, uh, I think there is a whole new avenue she may want to explore at some point. Well, I feel the same way about her that I feel about... Um, uh, uh... I'm just old. And That's I need, okay. And I need glasses. Yeah, well. I feel the same way about her that I feel about, you know, come on, Claire Danes. Oh, yeah. No, I absolutely. love Claire Danes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It never really took off. I mean, it did for a blip, but now I just think she's great. And by the way, you know, part of the reason why Dexter Season 5 uh, is notable is because of uh, some of the directors. You know, yeah. John Dahl directs. I know. And you know, you know who else is? Ernest Dickerson. Yeah. Spike Lee's longtime cinematographer, do who, the right thing. Who did who did a number of good films on his own as a director, and uh, yeah, I mean that, those are those are good directorial gets for sure. So how does um, how does Dexter season five hold up against oh. Webster season three? It's not quite as edgy uh, because in Webster season three, I think there's actually an episode where Webster um, murders his family. I think they decided they just decided to kind of take it in a new direction, and uh, they wanted to, you know try something. This Wouldn't movie that have been great. I'm t- imagine you tuned in to watch this sweet little kid, and he walks in, and uh, what was the guy's name? Alex Karras. And Alex Karras says, "Hey, Webster, how are you this morning?" Webster turns around and just like whips out a butcher knife and just, just slashes Alex Karras's guts out, and right on, right there, now, prime time, family hour. Now, now here's that the thing: this, awesome. this certainly, uh, this certainly slashes me apart. I didn't realize that Alex Karras and Susan Clark, yeah. who were the parents on the show, yeah. that they were really married. Yeah. Oh yeah. Created by Stu Silver and co-starring real-life husband and wife Alex Karras yeah, and Susan yeah. Clark. I oh, did yeah. not know that. Yeah, that is wild, wacky stuff. Yes, it is. Uh, Webster was terrible. But here's the thing about Webster. Well, you know what I mean. Look, it was the whole the, the whole idea here was that uh, if Gary Coleman is cute on, uh, uh, you know, his show where we've got uh, a a single white man adopting uh, two black kids, let's do a show about a complete white family that adopts an even cuter little black kid. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, whole, the whole idea of Webster was to outstroke different strokes. That was the whole point. That's all we have to say about it. Uh, we got a BBC production here, Outcasts. You uh, love your BBC. You know what? Outcasts uh, is actually really good. I mean, it's, it, there's a certain BBC style that you get with a lot of these things, and... Uh, I don't know. It, it's it, it it I like it. Uh, it's not. It it's professional. It's cinematic. It has the same kind of look and vibe as you get on a lot of uh, cable and pay cable stuff. But somehow, you know, they got their own thing on BBC, especially when they do science fiction. And this is the kind of thing that you just. It's like as intelligent as I would hope things to be on sci-fi. 
but most of them never are. Sci-fi always goes for the fanboy, and this stuff always kind of goes in an intelligent direction, which may be kind of the fruits of Doctor Who. I don't know if that's it. The, the, you know, that they, all, the, all the British sci-fi stuff is just more of a thinking man's person. Maybe it's Doctor Who and Jerry Anderson. But, you know, you, the, whole, the whole history of, of sci-fi and British television is very intellectual, very sophisticated. And, and is I Doctor like that. Who really that sophisticated? It, it can be. It can be, especially the new series. Anyway, the, uh, the drill here is that there is, a, is basically a post-apocalyptic uh, scenario, and uh, there's a chance for, to move humanity away from a decimated Earth and onto a, a new world called Carpathia. And, uh, you know, there's also there's, – there's, it, there are similarities to a lot of other post-apocalyptic uh, movies and TV shows that we've seen. Uh, probably, I don't know, uh, Arc 2? No, I'm not going to compare to Arc. Arc 2 was a cool show, though. Oh, my God. Arc 2? Can you believe that reference I just pulled out of my unit? That was good, huh? <laughs> That was good, right? Your rear unit? Yeah. I just yanked Not the frontal unit. No, I just yanked one right out of my unit. A little reference to Arc 2 with the talking monkey and the jetpack. Yeah, and the big SU, the, the, big, uh, the big RV roaming around a post-apocalyptic oh planet. Pretty cool. Anyway, anyway. Uh, no, t- check it out. Outcasts. It's, uh, it's a very smartly written, well-produced show. Um, uh, triplet, uh, three titles here for HBO Latin America originals. I'm just going to make a quick mention of because I don't know how many people here even are aware, aware that these exist. But we have uh, Alice Primero Temporada. I don't speak Spanish, as you can tell. Uh, 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 Mandrake, Otra Forma de Ver la Justicia, and uh, Epitaphios. These are all productions for. Um, uh, HBO uh, Latin America, and uh, they—I—I uh, I, I really don't thoroughly understand uh, what goes on in any of them. But uh, if you are out there looking for some kind of high-quality uh, Spanish-speaking productions, HBO style, there they are. There they I, be. I, I thought that there might be, you know, kind of uh, something, you know, accessible on them, something English-speaking, or but there isn't. They're just straight-up Spanish audience stuff. You know what? The Hispanic market is huge. It's enormous. It's a huge untapped market. I don't know why they sent me the press releases on them. I was like, well, that's interesting. Why because they know that the DigiGods, by the way, at gods at digigods.com, that's it. they know that yeah. uh, we will talk about anything. We sure we absolutely will. Send it to us. We'll talk about it. We'll even talk about the Kennedys. How many miniseries have there been on this damn family? <laughs> exactly. Seriously, well, this, this, is, this particular gosh. miniseries really is controversial and is coming back into the news, not only because of the DVD set. I don't know if you know the story, Wade, but uh, the Kennedy stars uh, Greg Kinnear as uh, Jack Kennedy. Your buddy. And um, Did you ever, honestly, when you were working with Greg, did you ever imagine that he would ever play Jack Kennedy in a miniseries? I, I didn't. <laughs> I could imagine him doing it. I could imagine him cracking me up with his impersonation of Jack Kennedy. Yeah, there you go. Because Greg literally was the funniest person I'd ever met. I mean, yeah. Greg just just would always, always, always make me laugh. That's great. Um, and I worked with him for a good probably three, four years. Um, anyway, so he stars in uh, this show that was a miniseries done for the History Channel, but the History Channel uh, dropped it be- for reasons that nobody ever really knows, but no. they said it was not appropriate for the History Channel brand. So it was uh. then dropped by the History Channel and picked up by the Reels Channel. And Reels Channel, they just really picked it up just for the publicity involved. I mean, they the Reels Channel is some is, is, is really just a third-rate nothing network, but they figured no one else wants this uh, toxic uh, miniseries about uh, John F. Kennedy and all the scandals and whatnot with Katie Holmes as Jack Yeo that uh, they picked it up and aired it, and they have now released it on uh, DVD. And uh, you, you realize the brand-new controversy about this. No, what is it? So... 
there is supposedly a gr- a bunch of secret audio tapes that Jackie Kennedy made oh. with Arthur Schlesinger Jr. Oh, I heard about this. This is stuff that that uh, they that Caroline just decided to release, where she talks yes. about having affairs that to get revenge yes. on. Oh my! The gosh, rumor yes. is yeah. that that was the barter. Where yes, if the I history if, that. if if this miniseries is buried, yes, the reward is you, we, th- we release be, these tapes. Well, because well, Jackie didn't want those tapes released until fifty years after her death, right? And it's been whatever it's been on ten years or nineteen years or, what, or whatever it is. Yeah, that the barter was that we will let, I, I I will let you have these tapes wow. if you bury this miniseries. That's wow. the rumor. Wow. Isn't that strange? That's wild. Wow. Uh, is the is the um, is the miniseries any good? Well, you know, it, it, the problem is nowadays it really just depends on your political point of view, which is a shame. The uh, the miniseries was directed by Joel Cernow, who is a uh, and directed by John Caesar. These are guys from Twenty Four. They're considered to be uh, uh, conservatives, and they were doing a miniseries uh, on about a, about a, a liberal a president. liberal icon. Yeah, and so. You know, uh, people came out and said it was a rip job on the Kennedys. And, of course, uh, Sir now is saying, oh, it's the greatest Kennedy thing. That's the most accurate thing ever. And it's really – it's like nowadays you can't even make a documentary. I know. You cannot make a political documentary unless somebody thinks that they're slighted. Yeah. You can make a Reagan – you know, there was a Reagan documentary. With the, the, with, uh, where James the li- Brolin. Where all the liberals said it's a, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 it's a big lie and, a, yeah. and, and, and all the conservatives said it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Now you get the Kennedys. It's a lie. It's a, just yeah. come on. Wow! Disaster. Kennedy's a fascinating disaster. The uh, the Glades, uh, the uh, complete first season. Now that would be only thirteen episodes here because it's not a complete first season. Well, it's not a full first season. It's a complete season because it was only part of the season, kind of a mid season replacement. Uh, the Glades is a twentieth century Fox produced show that does what all of these uh, all of these detective shows always do: is we, it, you have to do only one of two things. To make a cop show work anymore, a detective show, you either have to find an exotic backdrop like Hawaii or you know like CSI Miami or whatever the case is, find an exotic backdrop or at least a different backdrop that people aren't necessarily familiar with, or you have to find some weird fringe section of uh, crime fighting like uh, you know Special Victims Unit or CSI or uh, you know the uh, the uh, I, medical yeah. examiner's office. And uh, we'll somehow come at crime from a different angle. And uh, The Glades is, is, you know, one of the former. It's uh, Matt Passmore, who I'd never heard of before, but he's not bad. He's a good guy, you know, real bohunky guy, but a decent actor. He's basically a Chicago cop who uh, thinks he's going to have a nice, uh, cushy life in Florida and winds up finding that, wow, crime is kind of a different deal in The Glades. Oh, my God. Just stop you it. like that, don't you? You know what? It, it's it, okay. It, it's well, okay. it's a little bit like... Um, like in reality television now, they're all trying to find different areas of the country to exploit. Yeah. Like first it was, uh, you know, Jersey. Yeah. Now it's Texas. Exactly. There's a couple of shows on, on Texas now. Yeah. There's a couple of reality shows, obviously, Jersey we know about. Totally. Uh, it's, it's like that. Yeah. And also the same thing with reality with the real, with like the low rent reality television where like right. you'll, you'll, TLC will do shows about, about guys who go through trash. <laughs> I mean, honestly. I know. No, it's it's anything, anything that they can actually somehow. Storage wars. I mean, these are guys who go through storage units. I mean, uh, uh, really. Heaven help us. Exactly. Uh, the complete season sixteen of Top Gear. You know, this show just—it is always amazing. I I just salute the British. I salute BBC for 
for doing this for so long and making it so much unbelievably fun. Uh, I love this. This is absolutely terrific. And, uh, hey, they have a three-part road trip through the U.S. on this thing, uh, which is just terrific, absolutely terrific. Uh, not only The thing about this show is not only do you learn a lot about great cars, at least incredibly powerful, cool cars, and, I mean, these cars are cool. Like the Ariel Atom V8 is just a dream, man. That is an unbelievably sweet car. Uh, but it, they just make it fun, and it's crazy, and it's it's just the most irreverent show. And what always great guests, unbelievably cool celebrities in a reason reasonably priced car uh, is just hysterically funny. Great guests on this one, including Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. You you just won't believe how much fun this show is. And at one point, they even go through the Middle East, which uh, you know, hot cars, fast cars in the Middle East, yeah. I could do that. A lot, cool. a lot of wide open roads to drive. It is a cool show. And uh, what else is a cool show is the United States of Tara. This is the third season on uh, DVD. This is the show that was created by Diablo Cody and uh, based on an idea by Steven Spielberg, I guess. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows how these things actually come, come uh, together? I am just, thr- I am just thrilled that uh, this has sort of given a, a career jump start to um, Tony Collette. Tony Collette. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is wild. Although, you know, it's not being, it was not renewed for a fourth season, so this is it. This third season yeah. DVD is it. Well, it, it is. In fact, the series finale aired in, uh, in June. So the series finale, the whole yeah, thing is gone. It's done. So uh, this is pretty much all there is. Tony Collette won a, uh, I think she won a Clio or maybe an MTV award. Or I, think posi- a, I, think, yeah, I think she won an Emmy. I, th- I, th- I think it was a Tony, actually, yeah. is what she won. Might have been an Oscar. Okay, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Some, some award that they all give right. for excellence in television. Okay. I think they might call it a uh, a moon man. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> All right, whatever. She won an Emmy. Um, it's a good show, and it's a good show because of her, and it's got a decent supporting – it's got an okay supporting cast, actually. Uh, John Corbett's the only kind of name guy on the cast, but uh, it's good stuff. It, it, you know, it, it had a very short but respectable run. I'm going to talk about some uh, foreign titles here. Um, this is a, an interesting trio of films. This is from Icarus Home Video. Uh, Icarus always does. Icarus is one of those companies like Facets that will occasionally really come out. Not a lot of titles, but they'll come out with stuff that's really significant and uh, interesting and culturally and artistically uh, worth meritorious. Let's call it meritorious. Um, the stuff on, there are two here, two kind of minor works on here. <laughs> Mark, Mark is making an absolute well, disaster. Well, because I'm, I'm looking at this stuff that we're not talking about. It's like, wait, why are we not talking about this? Well, and because this? We, this is, I know, we'll, we'll get to it. I know. Uh, you know, it's, it's all about, uh, it's all it. about suspense, right? No, because no one knows that they're being asked to okay. wait for something good. We just don't tell them. You, we, we have some good stuff coming up in about three seconds when okay, we stop talking about this crap. We got stuff coming up in about uh, two seconds when I get, well, when I get to this. Uh, these three interesting films include uh, Sergei Dvortsevoy's in the Dark, Marina Goldsvakaya's Three Songs About the Motherland. I know Mark's thinking, what on earth is he talking about? I just yawned. Uh, and then the last one is Chris Marker's One Day in the Life of Andrei Arsenovich. Um, basically, what we're, what the, this, these are three films that are, that are about what Russia was, what uh, Soviet Russia was. And uh, as it is, it's, it is a really great combination of three films that give you a completely different perspective, three different angles, three different filmmaker points of view on what you know, Russia represents and represented. 
uh, in all kinds of facets in the world. And if you didn't grow up during the Cold War like we did, I don't think you fully understand, uh, you know, just what that era was like. I mean, you know, for the, the first two-thirds of my life, it would, you know, the Cold War defined the world in every way, political and social and cultural and artistic. It was just, that was the tension. And the world changed, you know, once uh, 1989, 1990 came around and all that uh, switched. But well, Chris Marker's One Day in the Life of Andrei Arsenovich is an amazing film. And uh, it's particularly amazing because Chris Marker is such a weird, enigmatic hermit type guy I mean he makes uh, you know Terrence Malick and Kubrick look like extrovert A personalities he really is and uh, you know nobody really has any access to Chris Marker he even makes uh, he even makes uh, Gadar look like some kind of a you know exhibitionist um, this is a tribute to Andrei Tarkovsky the great Soviet director the great Russian director who of course became an expat went to Sweden made a lot of great films we talked about uh, The Sacrifice a couple of weeks ago uh, which is now on Blu-ray from Kino uh, really one of the great directors of all time Solaris being the, the film that everybody always kind of emphasizes and looks at, but other films like uh, like uh, like uh, Stalker, amazing stuff. Anyway, um, he was a good friend of uh, Chris Marker's, and uh, so this is very much a personal film, and uh, a, a, a pretty emotionally intense film as well, because Tarkovsky died of cancer very prematurely, he only made a handful of films, and then died in 1986. Uh, never ever got to it. So this is, there's a lot of very very cool personal stuff here, and uh, I found it very very touching. It'll make you want to see more Chris Marker films and more Tarkovsky films. And then the uh, the other foreign title we have this week, which uh, we just cannot let go uh, without uh, can't do, finish the show without talking about this, is the Blu-ray Criterion release of the Battle of Algiers, and this is so long overdue. Battle of Algiers is a classic 1966 film, a legendary film that changed so many things in cinema, directed by uh, Guido Pontecorvo, the Italian director who has been running the uh, Venice Film Festival for many, many, many years. And uh, this is just a staggering film. If you aren't familiar with it, it is, uh, it is a cinema verite look at the uh, dramatic recreation of uh, the key battle year in the uh, French-Algerian War. And it is... Uh, it's just stunning. It is, it is gripping. It is grueling. It is, uh, it is an amazing film, and it has influenced so many films since, including stuff like The Killing Fields. If there had never been a Battle of Algiers, there would be no Killing Fields. There would probably not even be stuff like... Uh, Saving Private Ryan or Saving something. Saving Private like Ryan, yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's a magnificent film. Lots of stuff on the second disc. Uh, some, well, first disc and the second disc are loaded with extras, but the, the second disc has this thing called Remembering History, which is uh, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen on the Algerian uh, War for Independence ever. I mean, it, so you're almost like getting two for one. Uh, another documentary uh, excerpt called Etat d'Armes, which is uh, it, it just a gut-wrenching... Um, it, it, it reveals a lot of the things that were... A lot of the tactics and the techniques that were used by French officials to, uh, to basically terrorize and torture the, uh, the Algerians. Just horrible. I mean, this is such a difficult war for the French to even deal with today. Uh, so much stuff in here. You learn about history. You learn about the film. It's, uh, it's film school in a box, which is what Criterion always brags about. And I just, this is like a must-own. You've got to go out and grab this. Got to get it. Got to get it. Got to get it. All right, Mark, let's go into all. Oh, let's get into the regular. Come on. I know, right? The Blu-ray of Big Lebowski. I know, right? I know, right? I know, right? Really? You don't, you, hey, let me tell you something. You don't mess with the Jesus, man. You know, normally I would beg you for this, but here's the reason I'm not going to. Yeah. A, you're not going to give it to me. No. 
And also, I have a Big Lebowski uh, DVD uh, gift collector yes. thing that has like a little bowling ball. Oh, it's that. Like the DVD right. is actually right beneath. Yes. Right, like right above the DVD itself is a little tiny plastic bowling ball. So well, I want to keep that. Same extras. All is that same, right? All the same extras. Yeah, yeah. No, nothing nothing new here that wasn't on that one. But You know, uh, uh, he, uh, here in Los Angeles. Well, Blu-ray, you know, so we finally get the Lebowski and Blu-ray. You know, here in Los Angeles, it was kind of a, a, a little blip of a story. Because, you know, I do uh, not roll on Shabbat. <laughs> the best. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the home that Lebowski lived in. Yeah. In the movie. Yes. You know, his little home. You know, where like the carpet was tying the whole room together. Yeah. That place is for sale. Wow. Like now. Wow. And when it went on sale, I mean, oh, it's a, it's a it's a house that some guy owns, and now he's selling the house. So the the one where where he gets basically home invasion attacked by the yes. nihilists. We are nihilists. Yes, and the carpet that ties yeah. the room together. Yeah, uh, it's, for, it's for sale. <laughs> so actually, it was it was it was funny because, <laughs> where, because they, where they peed on his rug. They peed on his rug. Who's going to tie the room together? But the thing is that it was. Uh, is that when oh, it went on sale? So when it went, you know, it, it's on sale and it's being billed as the Big Lebowski house. Uh, fine, and good. There was an open house, just like any yeah. house for sale is an open house. And they were trying to get I don't, I don't know that he did, but they were trying to get Jeff Bridges to appear at the open house. That's pretty great. You just forget who all's in this movie. Steve Buscemi's in this movie. Uh, I mean, you know, Julianne Moore is in this movie. What a, what a great movie. And Tara Reid. Oh, what a just uh, yeah well. Exactly. What a what a great movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman's in this freaking movie. Is the best. You know, it's just it really is just absolutely fantastic. Just cannot get enough of this movie. Uh, yeah, do it. Rock on. It's uh, you know there it is. It's out a limited edition Blu-ray book. Basic. They don't call it a Blu-ray book. That's the Warner Brothers title for these things. But this is uh, you know Universal is doing them too. Everybody's doing them where they. It's a digipack with a little little booklet kind of sewn into the middle of it. It's just terrific. Absolutely terrific. And it looks great. Looks fabulous. A couple of Muppet films on Blu-ray as well. Yeah, and, uh, Blu-ray new Muppet DVD. movies coming out, yeah. Wade. That was my Fozzie just momentarily. Uh, this is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack, uh, both of these. Uh, you know, there are better Muppet movies out there, but The Muppets Take Manhattan is, is one of the better ones. I mean, this really is, this is a lot of fun. And uh, I still love the Muppet movie the best, but you know what? This, this really had... Part of the joy of the Muppet movies is, especially the really good ones, is just the cavalcade of celebrities that just march through them. Yeah, but back then it was like Dom DeLuise or whatever. Yeah, and it's like... Now it's uh, Seth Rogen. True, but the Muppets Take Manhattan has such a great... It's probably the the second best cast, the original Muppet movie itself. It's maybe not the second best film. It's maybe in the top three, uh, maybe top four. But, I mean, come on, Art Carney, James Coco, Dabney Coleman. James Coco. You know, Joan Rivers. I mean, that's, it's just a lot of fun. It's an awful lot of fun. And uh, we forget, you know who directed The Muppets Take Manhattan? Oh, it was uh, Terrence Malick. Frank Oz. Yeah. Frank Oz. He needs to direct more. I love that guy. I love his movies. Death at a Funeral, man. That was the last thing he... He really knocked out of the park, and I wanted to do more like did that. Did he really knock that out of the park? Oh, I thought so. I thought that was terrific. You really crazy. did. Loved it. Uh, Tim Hill, not quite the director that Frank Oz is, and accordingly, Muppets from Space, not quite the same movie. A uh, little bit kind of you know off the wall, like like they're stretching to find something to to do. But uh, you know, both of these look terrific on Blu-ray. They're not amazing transfers. Uh, we're you know, they're Sony kind of pulled back a little bit on these. I think they figured, you know what, we don't really need to win the cinephiles over, don't need to win the, uh, the blueophiles over, but uh, we'll, we'll make it look decent. And they did. It's not, so it's not, they didn't phone it in, but, you know, 
They did. A they skyped. Job. They, they, they skyped it in. They did a decent job. No, I, I now wait. I didn't realize that there's a uh, there's a there's a full trailer for the new Muppet movie. Did you know that? Oh, really? Is there? Yeah. In fact, when the show is done, I'm I, I I'm going to call it up on YouTube. I didn't realize that. Wow. Like there's a full there's a full trailer. Bravo. Can't wait to check it out. Uh, you know, I want to just give a quick mention to this uh, this film, The Bang Bang Club. Uh, did you see this, Mark? I did not. Uh, you know. Uh, this is based on actually a true story, um, which is kind of centered around apartheid. And it's, I know you think, wow, that's a little late to be, you know, kind of uh, trying to make those stories still work. Because um, we had a ton of apartheid films in just a few years after it ended. And, you know, there was things like Cry Freedom. And, you know, they, they sort of got it out of their system and, uh, you know, World Apart with Barbara Hershey. And really, do we have to go back to that? Um... Yeah, I think so a little bit. I mean, this is uh, this is about four photographers, and uh, it tries to be one of those really gritty photojournalist films that is just you know on the cutting edge of uh, where they're, they're here they are in the middle of history. But um, it feels a little bit forced. Uh, it's not all that it can be if we want to kind of put it in marine terms. Um, but that being said, there's some decent performances here. Uh, Malin Ackerman, not my favorite actress, but I thought she was pretty good. Uh, here's the reason I'm really going to talk about this. is because Ryan Felipe, not my favorite actor, kind of wooden. Loved him in Crash. I've liked him in a few things. I think he's occasionally decent, you know. Uh, but uh, did you know that when Ryan Felipe orders uh, burgers and people ask for his name, he says his name is Steve? That's great. Aren't you going to ask me how I know that? How do you know that? <laughs> I was at Carney's uh, like a month ago. You know, Carney's, the train car. Yeah, Anyone they, doesn't they, know this. They, they, they sell hot dogs yeah. and uh, chili dogs and burgers. There's, and- a, there's a fast food joint in Los Angeles. There's two of them, only two of them, and it's called Carney's. And there's one in the San Fernando Valley, and there's one on, uh, on, on, the, on the Sunset Strip. Strip. And uh, it's basically, you know, a bunch of train cars stuck together, and you walk up into the train, and, it's, you know, it's like you're they, – they serve – there's the, the chef, and they cook it back behind the counter, and then you sit there like you're on a train, and you watch people drive by on Sunset or on Ventura Boulevard, whichever it is. And uh, so I go there. I'm on my way home from a screening somewhere at the Arclight, I think it was, and uh, – um, you know, I figure I'll grab myself a Carney's. You know, I'm in the neighborhood. I'm zipping down Sunset, going to Carney's, standing in line. And uh, I look up, and I, honest, honest to goodness, here's I see this head in front of me, and then the head turns, and there's the profile of Ryan Felipe standing right in front of me. And I'm like, well, that, all right. Ryan's got good taste in burgers. And they get up, you know, you give your order. And uh, your name, Steve. And I thought to myself, really? Like, if you were to say Ryan that would somehow blow your cover because there are just so few Ryans in Los Angeles. Like, honestly, dude, don't don't be that incognito. That's just, well, but that's he, just stupid. Well, here's the thing, though. That's just stupid. But there might be another reason he did that. Yeah, okay. He might have such an ego that he probably thought, <laughs> this guy doesn't know my name. I'm Ryan Felipe. I started an Oscar-winning Best Picture. He doesn't know my name. My name is Steve. That could have been the reason. It could have been a total ego play. You're rethinking it now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah no, I still, th- I, I, think, I still think it's ridiculous. I think it's absolutely insanely absurd. Uh, all right, Mark, uh, tell us about a bad movie. Uh, Meet Monica Valore. Is that a bad movie? You know, it's, um, it is a bad movie, but you know what? It, it really actually tried to be okay. It's a movie. It's, uh, Kim Cattrall plays a, uh, a uh, woman who's a porn star in the 80s, and she strikes up a friendship with this young kid who, of course, loves nothing but porn. But mm-hmm. now he's meeting this porn star when she's older and she's kind of struggling to make it and she's a single mom. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's flawed. It's a little contrived, but it's kind of not terrible. Uh, Kim Cattrall is terrific in it. She's showing that she can actually act, and you've got you to gotta applaud the deglamming of herself. Uh, so you know what? It's it's not. I mean, it's a, it's a total rental. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a major motion picture. But uh, there's an audio commentary with the uh, director Keith Beard and, and with Kim Cattrall. So it shows yeah. that Cattrall is interested enough to come in and do the audio commentary. That's um, nice. Unless, of course, uh, she was contractually obligated to. And it's on both Blu-ray and DVD. It's it's on DVD and Blue D. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. <laughs> Uh, Monarch has come out. You know, Monarch is uh, a smaller company that releases stuff that very often I think, okay, fine, that belongs on, you know, straight to video. That's a, that's a nice little sweet family title. I mean, it's very, you know, Monarch will not release something like uh, the, the Human Centipede. That doesn't, you won't get that from Monarch. Uh, they, have, they have a very family-friendly profile, and uh, every once in a while will be something where I think, well, that should have been in theaters. This is a movie called Lou. And uh, I don't know why this didn't get even some uh, a little, little tiny limited theatrical run. It really should have. Uh, written and directed by a woman named Belinda Chaco. And I hope she gets more shots at writing and directing. Because you know what? She, it really is a sweet film. Uh, this is just one of those um, stories about a girl and her grandfather. And um, it's, you know, we've seen this kind of a story a lot where there's some kind of a tragedy that happens or someone is abandoned or whatever, and suddenly you have an adult figure and a child figure who are thrown together, and each one somehow doesn't really want to be with the other one, and they eventually learn to love each other. I get it. And it's, it's kind of a, uh, a, a common scenario. But that being said, the grandfather here, for crying out loud, is John Hurt. And John Hurt rules. John Hurt is an amazing actor. He is an absolutely brilliant, brilliant actor. And... Uh, uh, you know, Emily Barclay is a, an absolutely wonderful actress. Uh, this is just... And then Lily Bell Tindley is terrific. You know, you, this is a really, really good cast. And uh, I hope people check this out. I hope they find it. It's a very, very sweet film. It is a, a movie that should have been released in theaters, should have had some kind of a theatrical life, did not. I think that's a shame. You, you do? I do. A so, crying yeah. shame? What else we got, Mark? Oh, we have the Blu-ray of a uh, priest, which is a, uh, which is a totally Kids. terrible little creature feature from uh, earlier this year, directed by uh, some guy named Scott Charles uh, Stewart. Stars Paul Bettany as a, um, he's a priest, and he's just been doing a lot of crap lately. He's a better actor than I, that. You know what? It's weird. I, I don't and know didn't how he these... already didn't he already play an albino priest in the in the Da Vinci Code? Or... He did. He played an albino. Yeah, and he's playing another like a self-flagellating pri- albino. Oh, great. And now he's another freaky priest. I just don't get it. You know what? Maybe they Typecasting. Be... Well, you know, but this is, it's unnecessary. I mean, why? This guy, he's, he has, he was married to uh, Jennifer. Was he married to Jennifer Connelly? He still Connelly? is. He still is. Yeah, they got kids. I mean, he, he gets to have sex with Jennifer Connelly. I mean, uh, you know, shouldn't that be enough to make you happy? Why do you got to yeah, go do stuff like this? You'd think. Anyway, the movie sucks, but it looks good on Blu-ray because uh, the, the effects, which are kind of average, actually, um, kind of pop on the Blu-ray. But, you know, ultimately, who cares? Because the movie's uh, big and loud and sh- stupid, but at least it's short. Oh, man. Which is the most important thing. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, Queen to Play is a movie that was released briefly theatrically. It's out from Zeitgeist uh, DVD. And you know what? This, I, it, I think this should have had maybe a little better theatrical life than it had, but Zeitgeist is not... Uh, you know, let's face it. They're one of the, they're one of the theatrical distributors that that survived, and uh, all the studios killed off their divisions. And so we have a few that are that have just kind of hung in there, like Zeitgeist and Strand. 
and they didn't overexpand, and they're still around, and the result is that they're kind of picking up what uh, remains in the independent marketplace, and they're getting it oftentimes for pennies, but they don't have the means to give these things really, really muscular releases. So the result is that if you want to see Queen to play and you missed it in theaters, uh, if it didn't reach a theater near you, then you gotta, you got to reach out and, uh, and grab it on DVD. Uh, Queen to Play has a terrific cast, absolutely terrific cast. Uh, Kevin Klein in one of his best recent performances, and the wonderful French actress Sandrine Bonner, who hasn't been on screen in a while, and I, it just blows my mind that this woman gets better and more beautiful with every passing year. It was, dude, it was, I kid you not, it was 1986. It was 25 years ago. 25 years ago that I was in France, living in France, and Sandrine Bonaire picked up Best Actress for uh, Vagabond, which in French was titled Saint Trois Ni Lois. But you remember Vagabond? Yeah. It was the same year that Christophe Lambert won Best Actor for uh, Metro, the Luc Besson film. That was 25 years ago. Okay, so I'm, th- I'm doing the math, and I'm like, oh, okay, she's 25. Like this way. She's, she's, either, she's at least my age, if not older, and she still looks like she's 30. I swear it's unbelievable. I don't know what she does. It must just be the French jeans or facial creams or something. I don't know. Maybe it's butter. But um, this is a really, really nice film. It's a very sweet film. Uh, it takes place on Corsica. Makes Corsica look beautiful and pastoral, despite the fact that it's mostly populated by uh, a lot of knife-wielding, borderline psychopathic pirates. But um, you know what? Corsica is otherwise, in terms of just the pastoral beauty, it's a wonderful backdrop for any movie. And um, it, uh, it let's just say it's a backdrop in this case for chess, and it makes chess absolutely sexy. And... Uh, uh, Kevin Klein uh, plays a doctor here, speaks French. This is a French language film. I don't want anybody to uh, necessarily uh, get, you know, diluted and think this is all entirely in English. It's not. It's Kevin Klein speaking French. And, but you know what? This is just a terrific film, and uh, you got to check it out. Caroline Botaro is the director. I'm unfamiliar with her work, but I'm sure as hell going to pay attention to her in the future. And then the last of our uh, featurey films is Jane Eyre, which stars. Um, Mia Wasikowska as Jane Eyre. Totally unconventional casting. I never would have expected to see her show up in a role like this, but she's really good. And then as Rochester, the incredibly chameleon-like Michael Fassbender, who showed up as the young uh, Magneto in uh, X-Men First Class, not to mention things like Hunger and what the hell else is he Oh, he's in? super cool. He's just great. He's a great actor. Even though, oh, he, you know what else he was in? He was in Centurion, which stunk. That was a really sucky movie, but he was decent in it. No, he is just, he is like the next generation of great British actors. He's just unbelievable. This guy is phenomenal. I mean, look, it's friggin' Jane Eyre. If you don't know the story, then just read the, read the damn book. But uh, I would say, is it as good as the uh, Robert Stevenson-directed black-and-white film with Orson Welles and Joe hey, Fontaine? Let, wait, let, let me guess. Your answer will be no. No. That's still the, uh, the quintessential. Look, how do, how do you outdo Orson Welles as Rochester? You that's, just don't. That's true. He's Orson freaking Wells. But that being said, uh, I think this is the this is better than the the um, uh, than any of the other versions for television or for the movies, other than that original one. I think this is uh, better than the Franco Zeffirelli film by a mile, and I actually quite like that one, even though I don't think John Hurt is a very good uh, Rochester. But John Hurt, uh, not John Hurt, William Hurt. William Hurt. No, was yeah, Rochester. William Hurt. No, no, no. Yeah, William Hurt was nah. Rochester, and then uh, you know Charlotte Gainsbourg was a decent Jane Eyre. But really, I think the casting here is terrific. It is and weird to be like, like, like William Hurt is an actor who never gave off much heat, which is really weird because mm-hmm. like he starred in Body Heat. Yeah, which is like he's not the smoldering. I don't know. 
sexual Well, anyway, tire. and this is directed by uh, Kerry Fuka, uh, Fukunaga, who is really a pretty great director. Uh, I'm really eager to see what he does next. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of great supporting performances here. Judy Dench. Uh, yeah, definitely check this out. It's uh, Jamie Bell shows up in, a, in an interesting part that doesn't really show up in any of the other books by the, or any of the other movies, by the way. It's out of the book. This is a little more faithful to the book. I, and I would say definitely get the Blu-ray. It's not that much better than the, than the DVD in many respects, but it's, uh, it, it's pretty sweet. It's a nicely photographed film. Interesting, Wade. All right, Mark. Where do we go next here? I don't um, know. How much well, longer do we have? We've got uh, we got about eight more minutes. Um, let's see here. Oh gosh, let's talk just briefly about a uh, a release here from Olive Films. Olive, you know, has this output deal where they do uh, Paramount stuff that Paramount doesn't want to deal with. And uh, this is an interesting cult film that uh, I'm sure Paramount just looked at this and they just thought, ah, we don't know what the hell to do with this. We don't even know how to market this. Uh, this is one of those weird B movies that uh, a lot of studios tried to use to compete with the drive-in crowd back in the 1950s when they realized at a certain point that kids were going to a lot of these weird movies about aliens and creepy things. Uh, and some of the studios tried to compete with it kind of half-heartedly, and they didn't really get into it until the, the late 60s. But The Colossus of New York, uh, directed by Eugène Lurier, uh, is, uh, is an interesting and kind of famous entry in that, uh, in that category. Um, the only recognizable name here that most people probably won't even recognize, but if you're, if you're about my age or Mark's age, you'll know Ross Martin uh, from The Wild Wild West and briefly from the uh, later seasons of Hawaii Five-0. Great actor, terrific uh, actor. He's in this. Um, you know what? The, 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 basically a Frankenstein movie is what this is. It's, uh, you know, a, and this incredibly brilliant scientist dies, and then his dad and his brother take his brain and they drop it into a robot. Uh, so, you know, it's yet another one of those cautionary tales about the, the, uh, what modern science will do when allowed to run amok without, uh, kind of moral constraints. Uh, you get a lot of these kinds of films in the 1950s. There are a lot of these, you know, like the brain that wouldn't die and, uh, uh, they saved Hitler's brain and, you know, all these things. They're kind of all based on the same scenario. Uh, but The Colossus of New York is one of the more curious ones and it's worth a look. I don't know if it's worth buying, but it's certainly a decent rental. Hi, Wade. Yes, Mark. What do we got? You know what? I love Mystery, I love mystery Science Theater oh, 3000. Oh, jeez, more? I, I can't take it anymore. It really is. It, they're, they're shoving it down my throat now. It, literally. It's, it, it's becoming a version therapy. Like, the best way to get me to hate Mystery Science Theater 3000 is to make me watch another six releases every goddamn week. Uh, they, they are kind of uh, starting to overdo it a bit, aren't they? Uh, this week, it's, it's, the thing is that, you know, they, the, the volume sets were these four, four movies in one set. Yeah. Now they're back to releasing single movies on single sets, and they better be cheap right. because it's not worth it. One is The Unearthly. Uh, which is cute. It's a 1975 horror film, and it, the only reason I like it is because it has a really funny short, hmm. uh, Posture Pals. Actually, has two, and Appreciating Our Parents. It, Appreciating Our Parents is hilarious. Very 50s. The other one is a, a movie called Red Zone Cuba, and uh, Red Zone Cuba is uh, from 1966, and um, it somehow manages to work in uh, the Bay of Pigs and Escape Convicts, which is nice. And it also has a uh, short, 1949 short, Speech, Platform, posture, and appearances. So cool. I love the shorts. I, I really am starting to gorge out on these films. So maybe if you know those two specifically, you'd want to pick it up. Otherwise, there's plenty 
of other mystery science that you have not seen, I guarantee it. Uh, let's just wrap up this whole schlocky thing. There are a couple of docs that we should make mention of, but uh, to kind of transition from schlock to docs, uh, make mention of American Grindhouse. Um, this was, uh, you know, I have a particular fondness for this, obviously because as many of you are, who are longtime listeners know, I produced a documentary called Schlock, The Secret History of American Movies about 10 years ago, uh, very nicely written and directed by um, our good friend and colleague Ray Green, former editor-in-chief of Box Office. Ray and I spent about two years making that. So we uh, it's all about exploitation film, treated very seriously in a scholarly fashion, recognizing it is his, its historical... Um, Importance, and this is a this does not necessarily compete with us. We always like to uh, push these films because they do call attention to, um, I think, a, a, an overlooked and underappreciated aspect of American cinema, which a lot of people like to make fun of. And uh, you know, even thanks to Tarantino, a lot of people pay more attention to it, but they still don't quite take it that seriously. American Grindhouse does not focus specifically on the um, the fifties and sixties, which our film did. Uh, but it covers kind of the, the whole era. It even goes into the 70s, which is a bit of a transition. Talks not just about nudie cuties, but about black exploitation. The whole, the whole kind of exploitation uh, bag. It's very short, 82 minutes, and so as a result, I think it uh, somewhat shortchanges some of its subjects. But it uh, it gets a lot of great interviews. Um, a lot of people that we interviewed have, have passed away, like uh, Doris Wishman and uh, Sam Markoff. But they get a lot of good people here, too. Herschel Gordon-Lewis, who we didn't get, Joe Dante, uh, Larry Cohen, uh, Fred Williamson. Uh, it's a very decent film. And then, uh, lastly, a couple of docs here that we should uh, really give a quick but uh, highlight mention to. Hey Boo, Harper Lee, and To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, from First Run Features is uh, is a wonderful appreciation of Harper Lee, uh, a very underappreciated and misunderstood author, I think, in many respects. But uh, it'll it'll help you appreciate her and To Kill a Mockingbird a lot more. Really puts you inside her life and her mind, and uh, uh, really it, it gives so much more texture and depth to both the book and the movie. And then lastly, forget the film, watch the titles. This is uh, really pretty cool. This is nine short documentaries about title designers along with 38 of their incredible title sequences. Um, Mark, we love title sequences, but nobody does good ones anymore. No, it's a great great idea for a a documentary. Yeah, this is fabulous. This is two discs, and uh, we love this. This is absolutely awesome. Uh, This is from a new company called Submarine. And it's, a, it's kind of a cool digipack packaging, and, uh, you know, they obviously decided we've we got to make it graphically very smart if we're going to do something about titles, which are graphically very smart. But uh, these people who do titles, these great title designers, completely unsung heroes. Nobody knows who they are. And uh, this shines a spotlight on, I think, a, an aspect of filmmaking, which is kind of a lost... Uh, art, but I gotta say, you know what? You know what made me so happy. You know what? One of the uh, the praised sequences is on here. Uh, Star Wars. OSS one seventeen. <laughs> yeah, the first OSS one seventeen. Awesome. It's terrific. Love it. And uh, you know, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps was another recent one. So uh, you know, there is some good work being done now. Not as much as there should be, but we're very happy that they uh, elected to do this. It's a, it's a nice uh, a nice tribute to people who don't often get uh, you know praised. All right, uh, godsdigigods.com. Send us your uh, suggestions for new openings. We only got six weeks left, six weeks to get a lot of new openings from our listeners. So send them on in, godsdigigods.com. Mark, what else do we have to to jammer about? Uh, Goodbye. Goodbye. All right, see you next week. Goodbye.